Uh-oh, it looks like we've piqued your interest in the hideout. First of all, let me tell you what the hideout is not. The hideout is not for hustlers, for grinders, or for people who are looking for a shortcut to what the world calls success. The hideout is about growing as men, creating lifelong friendships, and having the time of our lives. Are you ready to tap in to the endless source that will take you from success to significance? The hideout is two and a half days of hiking, biking, and doing the little things that it takes to create lifelong friendships. I find that joy is nothing more than falling in love with your current circumstances and allowing magic to happen. And that's when we see growth in every area of your life. Have you accomplished your goals professionally and financially? and you still thirst for something more? Has success in these areas come at the expense of far more valuable things like your family, your children, and your relationships? Alignment in business, strategic partnerships, and joint ventures all come from true relationships. The Hideout is designed to get to know people before you'll ever need them. This is not your typical mastermind. The Hideout is focused on the one thing that will fuel everything joy. And when joy is overflowing in your life, you'll find growth in your marriage, your relationships, and oh yeah, your business. Welcome to the Kelly Cardenas Podcast, where attitude is everything on today's show. Um, Any one of you out there that wants to be a speaker, wants to be an author, wants to have global impact, um, this is your guy. Uh, Most of the time, what I say is the difference between a guy fighting in a parking lot uh, and a guy uh, fighting for millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars at Madison Square Garden is the person talking about the fight and getting everyone uh, to come and watch. This is the guy behind all the guys. This is the guy who helps the speaker get into the, the, the national press, helps the author to understand and to be able to hone their message. I've, uh, everywhere I go, everyone tells me they want to write a book. And I have always wondered like, okay, well, is there an accelerator? Is there a person that can pour gas on that fire and that can uh, help you with your message and help you to be able to uh, step out onto global stages? Well, <laughs> look no further, fella. You found him. Uh, this, this guy, not only that, uh, one of the top speakers in the world, one a uh, best-selling author, uh, the founder of Blue Talks, but also a heart of gold. I'll tell you a quick story. My daughter um, was... Uh, fell in love with the performing arts. We needed to fund her musical. This man stepped in and said, I will take all the proceeds from my business for a full week of this particular product and anything we sell, we'll just send to your daughter's school. And it wasn't, we didn't negotiate on anything. He just said, that's what it is. It's a handshake by, bam, it happened. And he was able to do that. And it's just been unbelievable. And by the way, my uh, daughter just got the lead in the school musical that was funded by this guy right here. He took us international. I have uh, had to reschedule him a couple of times, which has been my bad, but this has been a friend of mine for, it's been uh, probably three, four years now, and I'm just now getting him on the show. So please welcome to the show, Mr. Corey Poirier. Wow, Kelly Cardenas, that is so humbling. I so appreciate it. And at the same time, I was that my next question was going to be, what happened with the with the musical? So <laughs> I got my answer in the same breath. So that is amazing. Well, thank you so much. Well, it's it's incredible. Can I can I, I want to shout out a couple sponsors before we go too? Because I, I this I want to shout out number one the hideout. That's uh, that's the one that you saw the commercial for. It's coming Feb, uh, February third through the fifth, and the women's hideout um, is actually coming June second uh, through the fourth. This is a transformation. We're batting a thousand, Corey. Twelve guys, twelve transform, uh, transformations last September. Uh, they either transformed personally, professionally, spiritually, or financially, every single one of them. And generally when you do a, an event, you have maybe one transformation, someone walk away with some, you know, a little something, 100% we're batting a thousand. Um, I'm going to run down the list. Table one hospitality, Raven drum foundation, which is, which is founded by, uh, Rick Allen and Lauren Monroe, uh, the drummer from Def Leppard in the uh, rock and roll hall of fame. Uh, the Mina group, secret knock fame cast, uh, Finley Volvo of Las Vegas, 
Samaritan's Feet, Pink Cans for Cancer, Cardenas Law Group, who has my heart, uh, Squeeze Dried, Agua Hedionda Lagoon Foundation, the Sisu Agency Mindset Marketing, and uh, June Design Company. So now that the particulars are out of the way, let's jump in right here with a, a, a speaker and an author at the level that you are. Most of the time, people just take care of number one, which that's what we're taught. Just take care of you. But you are one of the top in the world and your passion is helping other people become the top in the world. Why is that so important to you, Corey? Well, Kelly, I mean, first of all, uh, well, I'll just say there's probably a couple of reasons for that. So I'll share a story and I think you'll appreciate this because I feel like you'll, I never want to assume, but I feel like you'll know when I say this name, who the person is that the story is sort of about. Uh, so the name that I'm referring to is the name Zig Ziglar. I'm sure you've heard that name maybe once in your life before. And so what happened to me is I started my journey uh, with a Fortune 500 company. And I've often, you know, looked at that training and it just blows my mind. This is, was the 58th largest company in the world at the time. I get hired. I think the training is going to be like world class. Even if I don't make it past the initiation, I'll have the world class training be under my belt. And I get there and the training literally... It, well, first of all, they said, uh, we're not going to print your business cards until you've proven whether or not you're going to survive because we don't want to waste that money on Whoa. business cards. So that kind of tells you the level we're operating at. And uh, they handed me a VHS. Uh, you know, for those that are millennials <laughs> here, you, I, I, I wish I had one to show you because I almost have to show it to you, explain it to you. But it's like, it's uh, I was going to say it's like a cassette tape, but then I have to show you a cassette tape to explain what it is. But I mean, it's something we used to use to watch videos. Uh, you know, like it, even now you, you almost have to explain the DVD. So it's like everything's digital. So you, it's almost have to explain anything physical, but we used to have to use a physical tape to watch stuff. And so they handed me a physical tape. Uh, it said, I think it was the one, I think the name of the, the seminar was see you at the top, uh, which was one of his famous phrases. And so they handed me this tape. It had this guy, Zig Ziglar on it. I didn't know who he was suit Southern guy. And full on suit on the front. And I was like, what, what's, what's this I'm about to put in? And I put it in and Kelly, I kid you not, like it changed everything. Um, he shared a story about the redhead, which his wife was the redhead. He talked about her often. And I'll tell you this is that, that tape 24 years ago, 25 years ago, easy. And I'll tell you right now, a story from that, that stuck with me forever that I used in sales for the rest of my life. And then I'll explain how this relates to how I get into helping others. So uh, as far as the tape, I watched it and he shared the story and he said he wanted to buy a house, a new house. And he said, he told his wife, because she was out looking at them, our limit is 250,000. Let's just say that was the number, which, you know, back in whatever 70s, that would have been a million plus house now. But, <laughs> but that's our limit. And uh, he said, not a penny more. That's it. And so she went out and he said, she came home that night and she said, Mr. Ziegler, before I tell you about the adventures at looking at homes and stuff today, let me ask you this. Would you pay, would you buy a coffee a day for me to have a happy wife at home? And he said, I don't, I was going to do his accent, but I won't try to do it. I just, he said that, uh, yes, darling, I think I would. And he, and she said, uh, okay. Cause she said, I got a proposition for you. And the long story short is what she did was she found a home that was 300,000, but it met all their needs, but it was over the 250 that he said. So he said, what that redhead figured out is all she had to sell me on was the 50,000 difference. Because he said, I had already bought the 250. I told her I bought it. And so she took that 50,000. She worked it over the years of a mortgage. And then she worked it out <laughs> to a coffee a day. And so basically, it made him realize the 50,000 wasn't really 50,000. And yes, he wanted a happy wife at home. And long story short, they bought the house. And so, but my point is, I remember that story from watching on a VHS 20 to 25 years ago. That's how powerful Ziegler was as a storyteller. So what happened as a result of that? Two things. One, I never had any training with that Fortune 500 company. And I said, I don't want other people to have to go through that. That was the first thing. Second thing is the, the training I got from Ziegler on that tape inspired me saying, I want to do what he did for somebody else in the future. And so to answer your question, it started first in um, sales and then in sales training, and then it moved into training and then speaking. All along the way, there's this driving force that I wanted to make sure nobody else started the way I did with having no help and no support. And so I looked at these different things, even as a speaker, when I first started three, four years in, I had no mentor. It wasn't until that point. And, you know, there's some goods out of that, Kelly, because 
I was getting paid in my first year as a speaker. And years later, I went to uh, like the speaking conferences and with these association speakers. And they're like, oh, you can't do that. You can't, you know, you can't, uh, you can't charge for speaking. You're just starting. And I'm like, should I go give the money back? What do you mean? Like, I didn't know any better. So ignorance is bliss. But that was because I had no mentors. That was a good thing that came out of it. But the bad thing is, it took me so long to learn everything in the trenches. For instance, uh, Steve Jobs. I, I said, I want to learn how to crush it on stages. I need to start studying speakers that other people vote as some of the best presenters. And Steve Jobs always came up on those lists. So one of the things that changed me at my core as a speaker was I went and watched a Steve Jobs presentation and I looked for things he was doing that I wasn't. And one of the big things was I noticed he had hardly any slides and the slides he had just had images on them. And then I looked at my slides and my slides were like covered in words and PowerPoint, I mean, uh, bullet points and everything. And I'm like, why am I even showing up? Why don't I just email them the PowerPoint? Like it made no sense for me to deliver a presentation where all they were doing is looking at the screen and marking down notes. And I clued in in that second that, what Steve Jobs was doing was brilliant on multiple levels. One, you get a visual image that supports the story. Uh, two, you don't have to write anything down. Um, three, it's easier for him. Uh, four, it, it doesn't interrupt him. Instead, instead of being, it's more of a compliment to him. And so all those things, I basically inputted that and my approval rating as a speaker went from about 70, I think we figured it was 72 or 73% at the time to 94% overnight. And what I'm getting at Kelly, is I, if I would have had a mentor teaching me that, I would have learned that four years earlier. So this is a full circle to circle back and say, what got me doing with this is I didn't have a mentor when I started and I wanted to make sure anything I was passionate about, I became that mentor for other people. And that's how I got into helping people both set and selling and speaking on stages. Well, Corey, I just think it's incredible, man. I mean, because I got a chance to be a part of your community, come and speak with them. And, um, you know, and I, and I thank you for that, man. I mean, inviting me in and all these people are like, they're really, really growing as authors, as speakers, as presenters. Let's go into the author part because I'm sure that when people hear that you have a book and that you that you have multiple books and you've written and all these things, everybody says the exact same thing. Oh yeah, I've always wanted to write a book. Can you tell me the top three uh, challenges, you know, or the the starting points for a person writing a book out there that's saying I've got a book inside me? but I just don't know what to do. Where should they start? I'll tell you where I started. And I just had a conversation with somebody just literally 25 minutes ago about this. Uh, this person reached out because we've done many compilations now with Blue Talks and she wanted to know how to do a compilation book. And what's interesting is I, I was a friend of a friend and, and she said, can you talk to her about this? And so honestly, Kelly, I did what some people do. Most probably don't do this, but I dumped everything on her for free. I said, here's how you do it. Here's the whole system. And uh, she's like, holy crap. Like, uh, you know, I wasn't expecting that. I actually wanted to just pay you to do this. <laughs> and so, so long story short is that um, there's a lot to it. There's a lot to writing a book. There's a lot to marketing a book and all those things. But what started it all for me is where she's starting. And so that's what I'd recommend. What started everything for me was writing a compilation, like writing in a compilation book. Like, so now we're creating them, but writing in one. Why do I say that? So I said for probably five years, I've got to put a book out soon. I got a book in me and all this stuff. And the book never saw the light of day. I wrote in a compilation book, meaning I submitted one chapter to a book. And what happened is two months later, three months later, my first book released. Like I, five years, nothing, write a chapter. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, this isn't as hard as I thought. Oh, this is how you do it. And I released it. So the first thing I would say is write a, a chapter in a compilation book. But I'll add a second part to this. Why it's beneficial too is I don't believe you should spend a thousand hours of your time learning something that you can learn from somebody else in 10 hours. And so, so I say this, Kelly, people that come in our compilation book, what happens is they learn the whole book business from us. They don't have to learn it themselves. <laughs> so for example, we do a, a, I won't go into all the details here, but we do a pre-launch before the launch. That's unusual. But we teach, like they get to see how we do the whole thing. There's nothing stopping them from doing that for their next book. We do, how do you uh, get downloads for your book for free? What marketing sites do you use to market it to? Um, how do you uh, work with an editor most effectively? Uh, what does formatting, formatting look like? To understand what it looked like before it's formatted. And uh, how do you actually use Amazon to buy author copies? And on and on and on. And so they get to learn all that on our, really on our, our time and dime. Uh, so what I would say is, and I'll say this, most anthology books you're gonna be in, there's gonna be an investment involved. Invest all day, every day, meaning, 
don't worry about investing. What I would say is make sure you're not buying in for the most expensive one. But if you're going to learn the whole book business from somebody, and I'm just going to throw a number out. Let's say the book compilation is $2,000 and you're going to learn the whole book business. I think you know from having a book, Kelly, enough as well like I do, <laughs> that you're going to spend a lot more of your time in $2,000 learning the book business from scratch. So the cool thing is you get to be in a book, you get to write a book, you get to have your stuff out there. Hopefully they do a good job of branding and marketing your book and broadcasting it and all that stuff. And you pick up clients at the very same time, you get to learn the book business again from somebody else that's already done it. So that's that's only number one. But that's the first thing I would say is uh, basically write in a compilation book, invest if you have to, learn from them. Don't learn all the mistakes yourself. The other two I'll tell you really quickly. Uh, second thing is more of a strategy, I would say. Let's say your book is written. Let's say you're getting ready to release it. The one thing I wish I would have done sooner, and uh, I got to start using it more anyway, is, and I wish I had one of my books to show you in the front cover. I, I'm in an office upstairs, I mentioned to you, because our other one flooded, so I have no <laughs> access to the normal stuff. But, we love uh, floods. We love yeah, floods, Corey. Um, so I was just trying to see if I do. Okay. So the book, either way, what I do in the front of my book, and I don't see this in almost any book. So it's something that uh, if you hear this and you haven't before, it's, I can promise you it's not something most people aren't doing. I don't know if you're doing this, Kelly, and you can tell us if you are, but in the front of your book, first few pages, you should have a page that says, thank you for grabbing a copy of my book, something to the effect of this. Uh, what I'd like to do is, is give, you, uh, give you a gift as a way of thank you. Here you can go grab my free this audio book, let's say, at this link, uh, again, as a thank you for taking the time to read my book, whatever that looks like. Here's, so that's in your first two or three pages. And so it's an opt-in page that you send people to. Here's the benefit of that. In Amazon, some people can only, or some people will look at only the first eight pages or 10 pages because you can see them for free in most books. Amazon makes that available. So what happens is I have people come to me and say, uh, sign up for my newsletter. Uh, down the road, I email about Blue Talks. They say, hey, I want, I want to join. And I'll say, oh, how did you discover me? Oh, I signed up for your book. And I said, oh, what did you think of it? Oh, I never read it. I didn't buy it. I just signed up because I saw a sign up in the inside. What I'm getting at is we've had people sign up for my newsletter that never even bought the book. That's the benefit of the first few pages. Second thing is we know only a small percentage of people read the books top to back and all the forward and everything. So you want that in the first couple of pages because even if they don't read the whole book, you've now got them signed up for something else and on your newsletter. So for me, it could be grabbing my audiobook, And that's even more valuable to some people than the book was in the first place. And that's what we offer because I really want them to go there. But they might not listen to, or read my book, but then they might listen to the audiobook and still get the same stuff from it. And I get the benefit of them buying the book. And at the same time, now they're on my newsletter to market to forever. Uh, so I interviewed a guy the other day who's got 40 or 35 New York Times bestselling books. And what he told me is he said, and this is a public interview, so I can say this much, is he said, uh, I said, well, how are they always coming out as New York Times bestsellers? Like that's something almost nobody can figure out. And obviously, once you've had enough of them, I'm sure the New York Times bestselling people see his and go, okay, we like his work, we'll put him on the list. But he has to sell a minimum number. So I asked him how he does that. He said over 20 years, he built up his email list. It's now 420,000 people. He said, so when he does his pre-order or pre-launch, he already knows whether it's going to be a New York Times bestseller based on how many buy it from his list. So what I'm also telling you is by doing that thing at the sign up in the beginning, you're building your list to be able to market to whether it's for your main business or your books in the future as well. So that's number two. Any, any questions on that or no, 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 I'm, I'm waiting on number three too. Cause you've been dropping bombs, uh, uh, Corey. And it, it's amazing. Cause now we don't like you were talking about cassettes. We don't have to rewind this now. <laughs> you could just hit the cursor and go back and be able to do that. Make sure to that, uh, while you're doing the cursor, mash the subscribe button. 84% of the people who watch the podcast on YouTube are not subscribed. So just subscribe, do it. And my son will think I'm cool. So go ahead. And not only that, you'll start one uh, one man at a time, you'll start increasing the ratio. So eventually it'll be like 65%. Um, the third thing, and, and by the way, as probably people know, this is all like I'm grabbing three things. I could have picked another three things. I'm just grabbing the ones that pop in my head. But the third one I'll give people, and this comes to writing the book. So I've kind of tried to you know, give you one for uh, how to get started on writing, another one for marketing because this signing up for your newsletter, that's a marketing one. The third one is more for... Um, the actual writing, like getting the ideas for what you're going to write. And so I would say storytelling, whether you're fiction or nonfiction, is crucial. And so I have a journal often, if people can see that, but I have a journal. And uh, this journal here is different than the one I'm going to tell you about, which is interesting, but it's the closest to me. That journal is actually my synchronicity journal. So I write down synchronicities uh, in terms of things that happen that, uh, you know, should years ago used to only happen once every year. 
now that happen every hour. And so to put it in perspective, Kelly, because you can appreciate this, like this book, uh, see if I, one sec here. Yes. This book is from the last few months. And like, these are synchronicities that are happening. Like there's like 20 on one page, you know, things that, things that are, uh, that happen that I'm going, wow, this is like a miracle. It should never happen more than once in my life. And I have a book filled with 20 on a page. Like, that's probably 200 from a few months. So I believe in journaling. I don't do it all, all the time like I should. I drop the ball sometimes, but I, I believe in it. And uh, what I would say is the third strategy for writing is write. Actually, I'm going to give, can I, can I give you a fourth one too? I'll give, give it, you man. One. This is about you. Go, Corey. I'm going to give you a third and then a fourth bonus one. The third is as a stand-up comic, uh, what I learned over the years is that one of the challenges we run into is you, you think of a great joke and then it leaves your mind. And then you're like, I know it was the best ever. And it always makes me think of the Seinfeld episode where he was asleep and then he woke up and then he was like, he woke up in the middle of the night sleeping and he recorded something from what he thought of as the joke. And then in the morning he woke up and he couldn't understand what the joke meant. And he's like, I know it was brilliant and he couldn't understand what it was. And and that's the challenge with as a comic. You could go, this is the funniest thing ever. And if you don't write it down, it might disappear forever. But you still remember there was something brilliant that you now lost. So what I would say is start carrying a tiny journal around and make observations. And here's what you want to put in your book, whatever the context of your book is or content either. Um, what you want to do is you want to write down what's the thing that you saw. So if you saw something that made you cry, made you smile, gave you goosebumps, those are your stories for your book, for your speech, for everything. So what I would say is look for those stories that evoke emotions. And those are the ones that are going to evoke emotion for somebody else. And so what you want to do is carry a journal around, make those notes. And then when you're trying, what story can I put in here? You'll hopefully have a whole journal of them. And one of them will fit that, you know, if you're telling a story about how to sell more widgets, then maybe you'll have a story about the Zig Ziglar, you know, thing about the redhead, what, what she taught me, you know, through, through him uh, in that interview or in that video. And so that's the third one I would say is to just take, like be an observer and make notes and have a journal and journal of things that, uh, just, you know, that these things are stories that won't come around every day and they'll serve you, whether it's again, for a speech, you could use it. If you don't use it in the book, one of them, and it's sitting there, you can start off your zoom with it, your Facebook live. You can start off and say, uh, you know, I was in the story store the other day and this happened and that becomes that story. So those are three, uh, I would say, um, let's call it, uh, super, well, I, I won't say they're super quick, but I think things that uh, changed the game for me as a writer. And then bonus one, I would say, and this is now after you've written the book, and this is something I learned from James Redfield, who wrote The Celestine Prophecy, you know, 30 plus million copies sold, probably knows a thing or two about writing. And by the way, that wasn't his only New York Times bestseller, so it wasn't like the fluke book or anything. And one of the things James does is he, um, when he writes a book, he'll, set, he'll pick 50 people. He'll talk to 50 people and he says, do you want to be my reader? And basically what he does is he sends it out to that person, the book, as you know, where it's at at this point, not fully done or not fully written or what have you, or not edited for sure all the way. And he'll say, I want to know what parts you dig, but I also want to know when you stopped reading. And what he's trying to find out is the stuff that's not a page turner. So he gets those people to report back, when did you stop for supper? And they'll say, well, yeah, but I was hungry and we stopped for supper because it doesn't matter. I want the book to be one you can't put down even when you're hungry. So I need to know where that stopped and, or this didn't make sense to me. Like, I didn't understand what you meant by this. I didn't understand this later. And he, but what he did though, is he kept getting them to come back with all their feedback, 50 people until the book was 50 of them that couldn't put it down and wanted to pass it to their friends. And so what I'm going to say to that is you can now do that digitally easier than ever before. If you don't have the 50 friends you want to do it with, go on a place like Fiverr or 99design or Upwork or one of those freelance sites, pay each person 20 bucks to read and give you feedback on your book. If you had 20, if you pick 20 people, that's 400 bucks. Pretty sure $400 is worth it to figure out what's not working in your book. Wow. And that's, so that's one thing that James did that I learned from him. And I did it, by the way, my newest book, The Enlightened Passenger, not even out yet. Uh, I literally have like 40 people that are reading it now, giving me feedback. The one thing I'm challenged by Kelly, and I'll, I could take this as a compliment, but I, I'm one of those people like a speaker. I'm like, yeah, but what didn't work? And a lot of them have come back and said, I couldn't put it down, it was great. I'm like, but I can't, I can't use that. I need to know there's got to be stuff not working. And that's the challenge. And maybe that's the problem with picking people that know you well. You know, maybe they're scared to, or maybe they can't even see something that's not working because they like you so much or whatever. Um, but that's something I'd recommend. And then the last one is um, James also did this thing, which was powerful, is he drove around to 2,000 bookstores. And whoever was in the book at that time, he felt that was a synchronicity that they were there. So he gave them a free copy of the book. But what's really powerful about that is it included the person that owned the bookstore. 
So if you think about that, marketing-wise, the person that owned the bookstore, every one of them got to read Celestine. What do you think they did? If they loved the book, they put it right on the front counter. And that way, when people came in and said, what book should I get? You got to get this one. So he had 2,000 bookstore owners recommending his book. Obviously, the book, I mean, was it sold 1,000 a week to 5,000 to 10,000 to 20,000 to the point where they eventually couldn't keep up. And so uh, how you can do that in today's world, maybe those 2,000 bookstores don't exist anymore. But think about when you do a podcast tour. So a lot of people do a podcast store for their book, but the person that's interviewing them never even got a copy of the book and doesn't know any context from the book. So they're just like, hey, tell me about your book. Uh, so get it out to those people, top bloggers. What I'm saying is do the virtual version of what James did and get the book. It's like a, we used to do it with advanced reader copies, right? Do advanced reader copies and send them out to all the top people. One of the things I plan to do uh, for this next book is I plan to send it to Oprah's book club and uh, Reese's book club. And I've done a lot of work to figure out who runs Oprah's book club and who the lady is that accepts all the books. And so what I'm saying is, why not go there? Like that to me is the equivalent of James's bookstore, because if Oprah said, I like this book, everything changes that minute. So that's that's five, I guess. That was pretty long. <laughs> that's five. So, uh, Corey, it, I think one of the coolest things with you is, you know, I met you through a friend and, um, you know, my mom taught me very early on was be kind, uh, make a ton of friends and then stay super curious about what everyone else does. And magic seems to happen. I met you through a woman named Jamie, uh, who you had spoke for at a convention. Um, this was years ago. Um, we became friends and now you're friends with another guy named Greg Reed. Uh, who I'm hosting uh, Secret Knock with. And um, you guys talked separately, and then you and I talked, and you were like, I just had Greg on, and I would like to talk. Can you talk to the importance of, you seem to have mastered this, where you make friends and you make relationships as opposed to trying to create tra uh, transactions? And I think this is so important because even in what you were just talking about, um, what I'm hearing from you, is that when you're reaching out and you're making these true connections, those people can become your evangelist. Why has making friends been so important to you? So, I mean, such a great question. And it's appropriate you're asking it when we're talking with Greg Reed, because that guy's mastered the art of networking and making friends. And uh, so what I will say is this, Kelly, it's not sexy. Um, and some people won't do it because it takes work. We're in a what was I just saw? Oh, it sounds like a random comparison, but um, I, I used to watch wrestling growing up as a kid. And then I got fascinated by the business behind wrestling more than the wrestling itself. And, um, you know, somebody said, well, they should have, uh, Bruno Sammartino was a big famous wrestler in the seventies. And, but he would wrestle like once every, you know, on TV once every eight months or a year. And he, you know, only defend his belt once every blue moon. For those that don't know Bruno, you might remember Hulk Hogan, same deal. Hogan would never defend the belt. Like he would be like once every, at WrestleMania once a year or whatever. He would never be on the regular TV shows. And, uh, and somebody commented that and the other person said, but now we're in a different world now. Nobody would have the patience for that. And so what I'm going to share with you, Kelly, isn't a sexy overnight thing. Uh, and I'll say some people won't have the patience for it, but I'm going to say uh, it, it could be the best thing you ever do. And when it does start paying off, it'll pay off over and over again quicker than anything else. Meaning if you put the patients in on the front end, it'll it'll pay you back in the back end. And so part of this was by accident that I learned it. And part of it was just maybe being born in a small town and growing up meat and potatoes, grandfather, grade three education, carpenter, you know, that type of thing. Um, so what I do is I always, always, always try to sit with how can I, and again, people have heard this as cliche, but how can I bring value for this person? Mm -hmm. But also, and I'll, I'll explain it a bit, like Gary V talks about jab, 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 right hook, you know, so give, 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 and then ask. And I guess you could summarize it that way. But the gist of what I'm getting at is I basically look and say, not um, what am I going to get from this? More so, uh, how can I deposit? How can I put some deposits in to this relationship? And if I never get the withdrawal, that's fine. But I'm still going to get something from it because giving gives you something anyway. And that's the part where if you want that instant gratification, you're maybe that's zillennial that needs that right away. Even the giving will give you that because giving feels great. But so I'm going to give you an example, real world example. So um, example is this. And, and I hate using a name because I don't want him to go, well, I don't want somebody else to try to do the same thing to me. But um, well, I'll, I'll do it this way. 
I'll, I'll, I'll give two names and then somebody can figure out which one of the two it is. Well, I'll just say, it's, let's uh, do this. Let's do this. Corey though, is, is understand that, that, that you're not Moses. If you're listening, you're not Moses. And what I mean by that is if you go to the red sea right now and you have some guy chasing you, if you go to the Red Sea right now, you're not Moses. You're not going to part the sea. That was for Moses. That was a story for you to be inspired by. Be inspired by these stories, but unless you own them in your heart, like Corey, and that's the reason why I'm asking you the question, Corey, is because I watch you. I've watched you for years, man. I've watched you, and you're not a technique guy. You're doing things from your heart for the right reason. And there are a lot of people who read a book about being generous and then they're like, I'm going to go be generous so I can get, and that's not you. So that's the disclaimer. Everyone out there, you're not Moses. Continue on. Corey. I love it. And I'll add too that. It's, I gotta, <laughs> I'm making a note cause I want to share something else on this Kelly, but yeah, it's uh to your point. Uh, that's the, that's the rub. If you want to call it that that's the rub or the catch 22 is that, when you're giving, so that, I'm glad you added this in. When you're giving, you have to do it without expecting to receive. And that sounds easier. That sounds easier in theory. But a lot of times we go, yeah, but I'm still going to receive though, right? And But I'm saying it has to be honestly, intentionally not trying to get something back out of it. But so I'm going to give you an example. But now the, the intentional part is maybe me deciding on who I want to build a relationship with. But how I do it is about heart. But who I, who I want to build it with, and maybe for the reasons, I could have an end hope, a goal or hope or whatever you, but I have to also have to go into it saying, if that doesn't happen, am I still okay? And I am. I'm okay with it. So what happened was, uh, there's this one person, for instance, and, uh, and again, I, I'm, I'm on the fence of whether or not I should say who it is, because it would give more context, but I'll just say that- <laughs> Say the person... name, Corey. You said nothing's off limits. Say the name. People want to okay, hear so the name. So it's Mark Victor Hansen. Okay, uh, so. Mark co-wrote Chicken Soup for the Soul, yeah. and him and Crystal uh, Hansen wrote this book, Ask. And so some of this was done, like he did it on the air and everything. So it's not like me sharing something that he, you know, he wouldn't mind me sharing. But basically, Mark um, and Crystal came on the show. And then afterwards, and they actually asked it on the air, but then we talked about it afterwards. And he said, do you know of any other big shows we could jump on? Because they were just launching their book. And I had already interviewed Mark twice in the past. But this gives you an example of what you can do. And Mark said, uh, do you know of any other shows? Now, when I've asked that for people or people said to me, hey, do you want me to get you on shows? It's not abnormal for them to say, here's our show. Good luck. And then we never talk again. What I did was I bombarded Mark and Crystal with 25 shows. So and some of those shows, three million listeners. Uh, one was an Amazon show, like on Amazon TV. And so that we're not even talking super small shows. And so I gave those to Mark and Crystal. And I said, just let me know at any point when I'm when it's too much. But I, I, I basically said, hey, you got to re- meet uh, Mark and Crystal. They'd be a great fit in your show. A few of those people, Kelly, uh, I picked some people who I thought had great shows, but were just up and coming. A few of those people still to this minute have the picture of them and Mark and Crystal on their screen, like on their website and say, you know, that was the day my podcast changed. And so I'm also giving a gift to them. So what I'm saying is I'm helping Mark and Crystal. But I'm also helping the podcaster with an amazing guest. But here's the point of this. I sent them 25 uh, people. And I, at that point, up until that point, I asked zero from them. So at this point, I've still asked zero from them. So I haven't said, can you help me with this? Can you write my forward? Can you do an endorsement? Nothing. And then um, I, at this part, I, I won't go into much detail, but I'll just say, then I, I asked Mark about something and he told me, look, you know, we're not doing these type of things right now because now the book's done, blah, blah, blah. And he basically said, but for you, we're in. And somebody else asked me if they could hire him to do a similar thing. And I just won't tell you the price on the air because that wouldn't be fair. But I'll just say it wasn't free. And so what I'm getting at is, is there a chance that Mark said yes to me, even though he's saying no to everybody else because of me doing all that without expecting anything? There's maybe a chance. And so what I'm getting at is that's the kind of things I mean, like being willing to, by doing that, think of the amount of people impacted indirectly and I'm not taking this as a me ink. I'm just saying in general because of Mark's work. By marketing in 25 more shows, one of them with millions of listeners, those podcasters having Mark on the show, the listeners of those shows learning from Mark, all that ripple, to me, that's got to be worth it no matter what comes back to me. And so that's the type of thing I mean about giving without expecting to receive. And I'll give you an example from somebody else. Uh, John Tellerico, do you know who John is? I don't know John. Okay. I want to know him. I want to know him now. Yeah, well, yeah, I should introduce you. He's like... He's the, he's like Greg. He's like the networkers networker uh, and all heart. And so John Tellerico 
as a great example. Uh, so John was a fan of the late Bob Proctor. And he kind of like, uh, what was his name? Thomas C. Burns and Think and Grow Rich wanted to get to work with Thomas Edison. I think I, I might have the name, Edward, Edward Burns, wanted to work with Thomas Edison. And he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think my way into working with Thomas Edison. So John had a similar idea with Bob Proctor. So, but what he said is, again, if it never happens, I'm okay with that. But what he did was he paid attention at one of Bob's seminars and Bob kept playing the song. I think it was, I can see clearly now, I think was the song, but he kept playing the same song over and over. And, and he would like, you could tell he got giddy when he was listening to the song. And John said, so I knew he was a fan of the song. So what John did is he tracked down the original songwriter and singer, uh, his family, and asked them, is there any way I could pay, if I ordered it from Amazon and send it to you, pay to send you a 45 of it and ha- and send you the frame and everything else for just him to sign it and I'll pay you guys to do it. And they said, well, we don't want the money. And so it all ended up costing, I think, $25 total. But he got a, he got a framed, signed autograph with a picture and the record of the guy that wrote the song that Bob plays at every event. And then next time he went to Bob's event, he left at the front of the hotel and said, can you please give this to Mr. Proctor once I'm gone? Like he didn't even want the credit while he was there. Bob to go to the front of the room and say, look what this guy did. And John said, whenever he um, got home after the trip and that, about four days, three or four days later, he got an email from Bob's son and said, dad, love what you did, et cetera, et cetera. End result is uh, right up until his passing, John was one of, if not the top coach for Bob Proctor. So he worked his way into working with Bob Proctor. But it started because he put his heart into what could I give Bob that would make his day, even if he never works with me in the future. So. So, Corey, what gave you the permission to go out and do these kind of things? Because I think a lot of times people listening or, you know, even uh, early on in their careers or early on in their journeys, they're like, the start stops them. That's one thing that um, my friend Sean Finnegan, I love this guy. You got to meet him. That's He's Iron Man. Uh, he's straight, like, real Tony Stark. And he told me, your start stops you. And I said, well, well what do you mean? And he said, well, most of the time we have an idea, but we don't start. We don't like writing a book is not about the first chapter. It's about turning on the computer. It's not even about the first letter. What gave you the permission at a young age? Because it's one of those things where it's not an arrogance since I've known you. I've known you for you know over four years and it's not an arrogance. I mean, you're the best at what you do, but it's this confidence that you're, you allow yourself to promote every other person. What I've been realizing lately is that to compliment people truly from your heart, it takes the most confidence of anything else in the world because most people won't compliment other people because they're afraid they'll take their lunch. Where did this permission and this confidence come from? Was it parents? Was it uncles, aunts? Uh, Was it in your family? Yeah, so I I feel like it was in my family. And I, I've had a struggle, Kelly, which I'm open about this all the time, because I, I know a lot of people struggle with how can I promote myself without looking like it's an ego thing. And I struggle with this. Like just today, I had this conversation with a coach that I work with. So my coach. Uh, so I'll tell you this and then I'll answer that question right away. But uh, I so Shelly, my girlfriend, says, I'm going to get you some frames with some photos of you with like Deepak Chopra and Bob Proctor and stuff from your interviews with them and put it behind you for your podcast because it's such a great credibility boost. And I agree with her, but I was like, yeah, but won't they come across with an ego? Like in other words, I'm, you know, me putting pictures of me with people. And anyway, so I had to like, so my point is I still struggle with this. And so uh, Mitch said today, well, have you ever gone into a diner with pictures of celebrities and the owner and the owners behind the counter and nobody thinks anything about him? And he said, I think it just boosts your credibility. And he said, but I also think when the people get to know you in the show, they'll know it's not an ego thing. But what I'm saying, though, Kelly, is I still struggle with that. Like, I'm still like, oh, I still got to beat that out of myself of this idea of uh, I should never talk about myself because then people will think, oh, look at Mr. So-and-so. He thinks so highly of himself. So I still struggle with that. Uh, And so, first of all, that's on the the promotion side. But it'll circle back to what I was getting at. But so that's, you know, that's one thing is that... um, I come from that background where it's hard to promote myself and I'm in a world where I have to. So that's always been a counterbalance. So where that came from, which ties into where I think it came from to wanting to promote others is my grandfather. So my grandfather, the grade three carpenter with the, uh, you know, the education, grade three carpenter, uh, sorry, I'll circle that again. Grade three education, became a carpenter, bag of nails and a hammer, uh, built a fiberglass space shuttle to a scale. So a fiberglass space shuttle replica to scale. And I don't think I ever heard him tell one soul about it in the world. Um, so 
my grandfather, uh, we would have to tell people, and he blushed and turned red, but then he'd talk about it for hours. Like he wanted to share, but he just felt I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't do that. <laughs> what I'm getting at though, but he would tell every everybody all day of the week. My mother and father were together until I was nine, and so my father worked for my grandfather. My fa- grandfather trained him. He would tell everybody uh, that would listen that my father was the best Finnish carpenter he ever trained, how strong he was. He would promote my father to everybody that would listen and never tell a person he built a freaking fiberglass shape, uh, space shuttle that only six people in the world built that I bet you this other five people probably had uh, degrees and blue, were work, used to work with blueprints. You know what his blueprints were, Kelly? The guy that got him to build it drew it on a cigarette pack and drew a, a little tiny shuttle. And he said, here you go, Eddie, here's the blueprints. And bear in mind, it's not to scale. So my point is, that's the guy I think that made me want to promote others because I watched him my whole life mm-hmm. talk about everybody else and never talk about himself. And I just wanted to maybe get a little balance in the middle. Like I did want to, I need, knew I needed to promote myself. And here's what helped me do it is that realizing I can help more people, the more people that know what I'm doing. Wow. So I can promote more people and share more people if people know my work. But if I'm hidden and nobody knows who I am, it's harder for me to shine the light on others. And so I feel, if I really think about it fully, I feel my grandfather's the stick out or standout of my family who really were making it about other people. And and again, I use the term promoting. He wasn't in a promotion world, but he was just like, oh, you got to meet my nephew. He does this, this, and this. Or whenever I started getting into, I had a newspaper when I was uh, 19, like a business newspaper, like Success Magazine. You should have heard my grandfather. He would tell everybody, listen, my son's a publisher. My grandson's a publisher. You know, like he, he told everybody, he promoted the heck out of me. Oh, you, and small businesses. Oh, you need an ad? You, you, should, uh, you should take an ad in my grandson's newspaper. Like he's out there selling ads for me to the other local community people. So I think he was a, an avid promoter of other people without expecting anything in return. Mm-hmm. And I just, whether that's, a, whether that's a DNA thing or whether it's just a watching him and then and admiring him. And he really became my surrogate father. Like he taught me how to drive. Uh, helped me get my license. He co-signed for my first loan. Uh, here's something, Kelly. My first car loan was for $400 and he co-signed for it. And so somebody listening might say, what? Why did you need a co-signer for $400? But my grandfather wouldn't let me buy it, like get the loan on my own because he said, or sorry, wouldn't let me um, pay for it with cash because he said, you're not going to build credit that way. And the bank wouldn't give me money. So even $400. So he said, well, I'm going to co-sign. So that way you'll have start building credit. You know, so that's the kind of person he was. And so he taught me how to drive. He fixed it. I'd call him at like, you know, uh, seven at night and say my car broke down. He'd get in his vehicle and drive to me to fix the car. I'd call him when I needed directions in a different province in Canada because I forgot where to go. And he'd walk me through on the phone at two in the morning. So I feel like I got it from him. Well, Corey, it, it goes right in line. You mentioned something about it. I want to rewind a second. You went over Blue Talks, but I, it blew me away with this thing because a lot of times people create events or things like that that they become the guru. It's not a bad thing. It's just it's a, a, a way. And you created Blue Talks, again, to promote every single other person around you. And I want to, I want to give you some edification here because, Corey, I don't believe you ever have to promote Corey, because everyone that even comes in contact or comes in the, the, like your airspace, like we all think that you're the goat anyway, like, because you're not pushing on like, I got to be Corey. I got to, I mean, even when we were on the call, I, I came on your community to speak to your community. you made it about every other person. And for those of you just touching Corey for the first time, this won't be the last time because when you get in touch with him, when you connect and in the bio, there's all the links where you can see his social and you can see his website and you can see all those things and uh, attend a blue talk. Um, it's, it blows me away, and I want to edify you in this, man, because you're on the right path, like, and, and you're doing it without even understanding it, I believe, at times, because the impact that you have and the ripple effect that you have. I mean, four years ago when, we, when I got a chance to be on your podcast, dude, you made me feel like I was the greatest man on earth while I was there. And most, well, of, well I'm, I'm telling my, my mom told me that, you know what I mean? And it was just, it was amazing. So let's talk about blue talks. Um, because I just think that this has been transformative. Um, and it's been something that, you know, I, I think that every single person needs to understand and know and be able to experience. Well, 
thank you so much, Kelly, uh, for that edification. And um, one thing I'll, I'll, I'll mention just before I dive into Blue Talks, because, you know, to get people thinking about how giving often comes back to us. Uh, you know, you made me think of this when you were talking about that is my new book uh, that's not, e- not even out yet. So I'm definitely not pitching it. You can't even buy it. I don't, <laughs> we may have it on pre-order, but it's, I'm not pitching it. It's called The Enlightened Passenger. And as you know, I have a show called The Enlightened Passenger, which I plan to bring you on for uh, very soon. Um, but that show, uh, or sorry, that book rather, that, that kind of started it all, it's in that stage of me sending it to people, as I mentioned. Well, in the book, what I tried to do and again, it's not, uh, there's no hidden reason for this, but I even tried to, in the book, it's a fictional story, it's a parable. I tried to reference other people I wanted you to know about. So like I talk about the character in the story is like a Wayne Dyer-esque type person who's been successful. And he talks about, you know, when I was sharing the stage with Les Brown, here's what he taught me. And so my, my doing that is my way of trying to teach, to introduce you to Les Brown, basically in a fictional story. Um, and I've done that in the different stories I had, but I, so I'll even write about a book of a friends that's maybe not famous, in the, my book to try to do that. But one of the things that I did really well, and I'm telling people this not to, as a me ink, but more to say, hey, this is something you could do starting tomorrow, is my first book, uh, not first book, but my first big book that's now with a traditional publisher. I, I, basically what I did was I put quotes by 400 people that I interviewed or thought leaders in the back of that book. And so uh, basically it could be picture of Kelly and your quote below it. And I did that and you know we sold that book um, thousands and thousands of copies and then brought it to Morgan James Publishing, New York publisher. And I try to tell people that are in that book, promote that, say that you're in a New York Times or sorry, not New York Times, but you're with a, in a, with a, it was on like seven charts. You're in a book that was Apple books, bestseller, what have you forward written by James Redfield assigned to a New York publisher. Take that credit. Like I tell them you, 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 you're, it's true. You're in that book. You're featured in it. But what I'm getting at is that I did that because I felt their message needed to be heard. And it was the bonus section of the book, but he, but here's the thing, Kelly, here's what I want to, I really want to highlight I did what I didn't expect. And like you said, doing it sometimes unknowingly is that I all of a sudden had 400 people on my street team now telling everybody about the book because they were in the book. So I had 400 people promoting the book saying, you got to check out the book I'm in, but it wasn't intentional. It was more just how can I get their message out? And so, uh, you know, to your point, I believe that there's a lot of ways we can do this, but you really got to do it for the right reason. Uh, to answer your question on blue talks. So blue talks, basically I jokingly have said, uh, we created it to be, uh, if Chicken Soup for the Soul and uh, TEDx got together and had a baby and went off on their honeymoon, the baby that came back after the honeymoon would be Blue Talks. And so what do I mean by that? What I mean is that uh, people that are in our platform will speak on spirituality, inspiration, all the things you see in a Chicken Soup book. But then at the same time, they'll share the idea we're spreading, the game-changing idea, which you'll see in a TEDx stage. And so what we've done is we've created this platform to highlight other people, help them up level and become credible experts quickly. And so what we do is we um, we bring people onto our stages that uh, look, we'll run events at Harvard, um, UCLA, which Kelly knows quite about because he's going to be at that <laughs> event, uh, uh, Columbia University, Cambridge, Oxford. And so the idea is imagine you're just starting your journey and you come and work with us. And then we get you on a stage, let's say at Cambridge University. Uh, we get you in a book, our latest book, uh, Joe Vitale from The Secret is right in the forward. So we get you in a book where you're co-author of Joe Vitale. Uh, you come on our virtual event where we've had James Redfield, uh, Kevin Harrington, Les Brown, Lisa Nichols. So then you can say you shared the bill with them and have a flyer showing it. Uh, and then uh, that's our virtual event. And then you're on our podcast and so on and so forth. Think of what that does for you if you're three months into building your expert empire and i go to your website and i see a video of you speaking at cambridge i see a flyer of you with joe vitale uh, it took me 15 years to get that kelly and what we're trying to do is tap into my network and get you that in months rather than years so what that looks like is uh somebody that comes and works with us at blue talks we'll end up getting them on our stage we'll film it edit it send them the video they can use forever we'll also air it on connect tv Apple, Roku, Amazon, all the places. And then uh, same with the podcast, get you in a book series that some of our books in our series are at Walmart, Target, Barnes and Noble. Uh, so you'll have a chapter in that book and we'll be promoting you there. We get you featured on our podcast and on uh, our virtual stage as well. And to your point, we also do a monthly networking call. And so then as a member, you can come on there and network and maybe do business with people on the call. We bring amazing guests like uh, Kelly to come on and do a Q&A. And so what we're trying to build is a full platform. You could compare it to say TEDx type platform with multi layers to the platform. But the real central goal is not only to get your message in front of millions, but at the same time to edify you and help build your expertise. Now you have to, I always say to people, you don't have to do much. It's pretty much done for you. 
but you do have to deliver. Meaning I can do everything I want, but if you have a blue talk video and it's terrible, and that, by the way, I don't think that's happened, but <laughs> if you do, no matter what I do, people are still going to see the terrible. And I don't mean that in a cold way. I just mean, we guide you, by the way, we do uh, group trainings. We do, we have a masterclass people get, we do a whole bunch of stuff to get you ready, which is maybe why we haven't had a lot of people fall. But what I'm saying is that I don't want people to think I'm falsely putting people out there that now are experts that people are paying them, you know, $10,000 because we've got these things. They still have to deliver. It still has to come to deliver. But what we're doing is giving you all of those marketing assets and that platform to up-level you and, and stand out from other people. Just think on your bio, if you came and, and joined us, and I say just in general, because that's what it usually looks like. Somebody's works with us and on their bio three months later could say, you know, uh, Corey Poirier is uh, spoken on site at Harvard. He's shared the bill with Les Brown, Lisa Nichols, the late Bob Proctor, uh, T. Harv Ecker. He's also uh, been featured on a, a, a podcast that was in the top of podcast magazines charts. And he also has a book that's in Walmart. Uh, that he co-authored with Joe Vitale. Like that sounds pretty good on your bio. <laughs> yeah. So that's what we're trying to do with Blue Talks is basically, and I say all that, it, I want people to understand, ultimately what I'm trying to do is help pull those people up the mountain the same way that I wish I would have been pulled up when I started. But this stuff I'm telling you that we're seeing happen took 10 to 15 years for me to achieve. And I'm just trying to tap into the network that I built to allow other people to achieve it much quicker. So that's what we're doing with Blue Talks. Corey, it's, it's incredible, man, because, you know, getting a chance to spend time with you in person in San Diego, the time when you came down and we got a chance to spend probably about 45 minutes together. The first time uh, we got a chance to be able to spend time was virtually on your podcast. And now this and, you know, there's other times where we get a chance to talk, whether it be on the phone or whatever it is. There's a, a underlying theme, and I don't know if you realize how consistent you are, um, but it's it's to do the right thing for the right reason and the right things will keep happening. And you're such an amazing example of this. And this is why all of us are cheering with you. And all of us like that, that hear you want to be a part and want to be around. You have evangelists all around the world because you're doing the right things for the right reasons. And that's right, the reason why the right things keep happening, man. I'm blown away. I started the podcast, Corey, because of my kids, uh, Maddox and McKenna. And I, uh, Maddox is 11 years old now, and um, he's the sports guy, and he's the joy kid. He's happy about everything. He's jumping up and down. He's got his own style. He's got, you know, he just started his dreadies just recently, and um, he's just he's just joy, like a light beam in the world. Uh, my daughter, McKenna, you saw the picture of her. She's in the performing arts. Uh, she's got a huge heart. She's got the most sarcastic uh, personality. You, I mean, she will never ease up on her dad either. She gives me the hardest time in the world. And I did it for them. I, I, I started the show for them because I wanted to take iconic figures like yourself. And I wanted to show them that Uncle Corey is not a superhero. Um, although he's the top in the world at not only the speaking uh, aspect, the, uh, his own writing, but also he creates the top speakers and top authors in the world also. I wanted to show them that Uncle Corey wasn't a superhero, that he was simply a person and that had a phenomenal attitude and great work ethic. And I wanted my kids not to worship idols, but to be inspired by icons like yourself. So what advice would you have, Uncle Corey, for Maddox and McKenna? And if you could use both their names, it would be awesome. So Maddox and McKenna, right? I got it right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. I, 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 I thought I had it right, and then I second-guessed myself when you're in the moment. Uh, so Maddox and McKenna, here's what I would say that I, I – I'll say it this way. I wish I knew it sooner, but I also did a talk on what I would tell my younger self and what I've learned in asking that question to some of the world's top leaders, what they would tell their younger self is don't change a thing. So I've learned most of them wouldn't jump in the time machine to go back even to talk to the younger self because it might mess something up. Um, so I say this as a preface to say I need I learned it when I needed to, but it doesn't mean I don't wish I wouldn't, wouldn't have known it sooner. So this is what I wish I would have known sooner. And I've learned it from all these interviews with these people that uh, really seem to have a joyous life. They're happy. They're excited. They seem to have time to still do more stuff. And people like them and on and on and on. They're sick less often. And so here's what it comes down to, Kelly. And it's the number one thing I've discovered in interviews with, again, thousands of the world's top leaders. Number one thing they share and have in common is that they live every day on purpose. Uh, so what I call it is vitamin P. 
So I say that vitamin P is the vitamin, meaning for purpose, the vitamin that you can't buy in any store, and yet it's the most important vitamin you'll ever discover and start taking every day. So I take vitamin P every day, which means I wake up every day like this. I don't even drink coffee. I, su I wake up super stoked as Corey every day. Having said that, what I would tell people is I believe it's not even finding your purpose or passion. I think it's uncovering it because it's there already. It's just you need to discover what it is. And so... Basically, I would say if you haven't yet, it's worth the, it's worth the, what would you call it? The journey. It's worth the it's it, the reward is there um, and enjoy the journey as well of trying to find it. So if I could give something in a couple of like a minute, let's say of a strategy. But that's so first of all, the, the, what I would say is uh, Madison and McKenna, you need to find your purpose in life at some point. You don't even have to rush it. Be a kid as long as you need to be a kid. But it'll change everything. People ask me what what it feels like. And I always say, well, do you know somebody who likes Christmas? Because not everybody does. But if you know somebody or a kid that likes Christmas and you know what it's like when they're tumbling down the stairs, running as fast as they can, that's how Corey feels every day when he wakes up. I feel like that automatically every day without any artificial stimulant. So that's the power of it. But if you've never discovered it, it sounds great in theory and you really don't know what it means. So going back to the point, here's what I would say to people to help find their purpose. Uh, I think passion is the gateway. So I think they're different. Uh, I think passion is what you do doing a podcast, speaking, whatever. Passion is the what, purpose is the why you're doing it. And so I found that passion is sort of the gateway to find your purpose. So finding a passion, after you start doing it for a while, you'll realize why you're doing it. So what I tell people as a strategy, and I'm gonna do this in one minute, Kelly, that normally I spend a lot more time on it, but the gist is I would say make a list of all the things that you would do if money wasn't an issue, if you won the lottery, what are the things that you did when you were a kid that you loved? What's the thing you do now that you don't watch the clock? Um, Whenever somebody told you in life, stop go doing that, stop being a clown, and you started doing something different, what was it you liked about being a clown? Go back to that point where they pushed you off your trail and find that spot. And what I want you to do is write down a list of those things. So it could be playing guitar, it could be entertaining people, it could be whatever, it could be knitting, doesn't matter. Make your list of say 10. Then what I want you to do is reverse the list or order them in priority. What's the thing that you wish you could do forever always? What's the thing if it, if it stopped happening, you'd be okay with it? Obviously, the thing that you'd want to do always, you put on the top of the list. And then what I want you to do is list out four or five steps of what, what would you have to do for baby steps to actually achieve that? So if it's stand-up comedy, maybe your baby steps are, I would take a comic out for lunch. I go to a comedy club and watch a comic. I'll watch HBO special and take notes. I'll buy the comedy Bible by Judy Carter. Uh, and I'll, I'll go to, a, uh, I'll ask comics what I should be doing differently. And basically make that list. And those are your baby steps. At each baby step, you should have a predetermined reward. So that way you'll want to keep going to the next one. And then by the time you've done the five of those, then if it's stand-up comedy, you're going to be willing to jump on a stand-up stage because you've done all the lifting already. It's going to be easier to take that last step. And here's what happens is that you'll know probably even before you get on the comedy stage if stand-up is your passion. You'll know. So what happens is you go through this list. Hopefully it's only the first one. You never have to go through anything again. It takes you three months. You find your passion. It helps you find your purpose. And yet you found yours in your life, whereas 95% of people, they say, go, go into their graves, never finding it. So is it worth three months? But here's what I would add. Those things on the list, even if you go through six of them to find it on the sixth one and it takes you a year, who cares? That's a list of things you just said you loved. What's wrong with doing a list of things you said you loved to find a thing you really love? Uh, but that's, I guess, in two minutes. That's the strategy I would give uh, Madison McKenna and anybody else. Write down that list, figure out what could be your passion and start doing that every day anyway, because you want to do it. And eventually you'll discover it if it's your passion. Um, this is, I've seen so many people that they discovered their purpose within three or four months of doing that and never looked back. So that was longer than what I would tell them. That's the, what I would tell them and how to do it. Corey, you're an absolutely incredible man. I mean, anyone out there listening, when you catch Corey, like this is Corey. This is Corey when you're talking to him and you're not recording. This is Corey when you're on a podcast. This is Corey when you're just, uh, when you have a regular conversation. So I want you to know, uh, I appreciate you, man, because it's not a turn on, like you don't turn on, you don't turn into different voice. You don't turn into mode. And I appreciate that more than anything as far as the, the speaker that you are, the person that you are, and the heart that you have. It's just exactly what you guys have experienced for the last hour. I want to thank you, Corey, for being on the show, man. It has been uh, my pleasure. I can't wait to have you on again. I got, I mean, we got so much more to unpack. We got so many more things to do. 
And I tell you, uh, what, I, what I tell people all the time uh, about the hideout is that you never know who's going to show up to the hideout. And so with Corey, I'm talking to Corey about, I mean, you just never know who's going to show up at the hideout. Um, I mean, I want to thank every single person out there that's uh, listening. Um, with no paid promotion, no paid marketing at all, zero zip since the beginning of the show, um, every one of you listening out there and sharing and watching has turned us into the top uh, in the top 1% globally as far as possible. Podcast. And also, uh, just uh, recently, we got uh, in the top 5% uh, most shared podcast on Spotify because of every one of you listening. Keep listening, keep sharing, and share this with a friend that wants to write a book, wants to speak, or wants to have a little bit more impact, or that just has breath in their lungs. Um, Corey, you have been amazing, man, and I appreciate you. You're officially off the hot seat. <laughs>